CD7 Under the rabbit hole down below the bank was a wide, low-roofed chamber. Tree roots wound among the stones in the wall. There were plenty of such things around Lancre. The kingdom had been there many years, ever since the ice withdrew. Tribes had pillaged, tilled, built and died. The clay walls and reed thatch of the living houses had long since rotted and been lost, but down under the moundy banks the abodes of the dead survived. No one knew now who'd been buried there. Occasionally the spoil heap outside a badger set would reveal a piece of bone or a scrap of corroded armour. The Lancrastians didn't go digging themselves, reckoning in their uncomplicated country way that it was bad luck to have your head torn off by a vengeful underground spirit. One or two of the old barrows had been exposed over the years, their huge stones attracting their own folklore. If you left your unshod horse at one of them overnight and placed a sixpence on the stone, in the morning the sixpence would be gone and you'd never see your horse again either. Down on the earth floor under the bank a fire was burning darkly, filling the barrow with smoke which exited through various hidden crannies. There was a pear-shaped rock beside it. Verence tried to sit up, but his body didn't want to obey. "'Dinna scanna wishta,' said the rock. It unfolded its legs. It was, he realised, a woman, or at least a female, blue like the other pixies, but at least a foot high, and so fat that it was almost spherical. It looked exactly like the little figurines back in the days of ice and mammoths, when what men really looked for in a woman was quantity. For the sake of modesty, or merely to mark the equator, it wore what Verence could only think of as a tutu. The whole effect reminded him of a spinning top that he'd had when he was a child. "'The Kelder says,' said a cracked voice by his ear, "'that ye must get ready.' Verence turned his head the other way and tried to focus on a small wizened pixie right in front of his nose. Its skin was faded. It had a long white beard. It walked with two sticks. "'Ready for what?' "'Good,' the old pixie banged its sticks on the ground. "'Kraken shadden eek, feagle!' The blue men rushed at Verence from the shadows. Hundreds of hands grabbed him. Their bodies formed a human pyramid, pulling him upright against the wall. Some clung to the tree roots that looped across the ceiling, tugging on his nightshirt to keep him vertical. A crowd of others ran across the floor with a full-sized crossbow and propped it on a stone close to him. "'Er, uh, I say,' Verence murmured. The Kelder waddled into the shadows and returned with her pudgy fists clenched. She went to the fire and held them over the flames. Yin, said the old pixie. I say, that's aimed right at my yin, shouted the Knack MacFeagle. Tun, tun! Ah, it's a uh, right tetra! The Kelder dropped something on the fire. A white flame roared up, etching the room in black and white. Verence blinked. When he managed to see again, there was a crossbow bolt sticking in the wall just by his ear. The Kelder growled some order, while white light still danced around the walls. The bearded pixie rattled his sticks again. Now you must walk away. No! The feagle let Verence go. He took a few tottering steps and collapsed on the floor, but the pixies weren't watching him. He looked up. His shadow twisted on the wall where it had been pinned. It writhed for a moment, trying to clutch at the arrow with insubstantial hands, and then faded. Verence raised his hand. There seemed to be a shadow there, too, but at least this one looked as if it was the regular kind. The old pixie hobbled over to him. "'All fine now,' he said. "'You uh, shot my shadow?' 
said Verence. Hey, you could call that a shaddy, said the pixie. It's the flutes they put on ye, but ye'll be up and aboot in that time. Aboot? Aboot the place, said the pixie evenly. All hail ye, kingly. I'm Big Aggie's man. Ye'd call me the Prime Minister, I'm hazardin. Will ye no have a huge dram and a burned bannock while ye're waitin? Verence rubbed his face. He did feel better already. The fog was drifting away. How can I ever repay you? he said. The pixie's eyes gleamed happily. Oh, there's a wee bitty thing, the curlin' og, so ye could be given us. <laughs> Hardly important at all, he said. Anything, said Verence. A couple of pixies came up staggering under a rolled-up parchment, which was unfolded in front of Verence. The old pixie was suddenly holding a quill pen. It's called a signature, he said, as Verence stared at the tiny handwriting. And make sure ye initial all the subclauses and codicils. We of the Neck Fiegel are a simple folk, he added, but we write very, very complicated documents. Mightily Oates blinked at Granny over the top of his praying hands. She saw his gaze slide sideways to the axe and then back to her. You wouldn't reach it in time, said Granny without moving. Should have got hold of it already if you were going to use it. Prayer's all very well. I can see where it can help you get your mind right. But an axe is an axe, no matter what you believes. Oates relaxed a little. He'd expected a leap for the throat. If Hodge's arg's made any tea, I'm parched, said Granny. She leaned against the anvil, panting. Out of the corner of her eye, she saw his hand move slowly. I'll get, I'll ask, I'll... Man with his head screwed on properly, that falconer. A biscuit wouldn't come amiss. Oates's hand reached the axe handle. Still not quick enough, said Granny. Keep hold of it, though. Axe first, pray later. You look like a priest. What's your god? Um... Om. That a he god or a she god? Um, a he. Yes, uh, a he. Definitely a he. It was one thing the church hadn't schismed over, strangely. Um, you don't mind, do you? Why should I mind? Well, your colleagues keep telling me that the Omnians used to burn witches. They never did, said Granny. I'm afraid I have to admit, um, that the records show they never burned witches, said Granny. Probably they burned some old ladies who spoke up or couldn't run away. I wouldn't look for witches being burned, she added, shifting position. I might look for witches doing the burning, though. We ain't all nice. Oates remembered the Count talking about contributing to the Arca Instrumentorum. Those books were ancient, but so were vampires, weren't they? and they were practically canonical. The freezing knife of doubt wedged itself deeper in his brain. Who knew who really wrote anything? What could you trust? Where was the holy writ? Where was the truth? Granny pulled herself to her feet and tottered over to the bench, where Hodges' Ark had left his jar of flame. She examined it carefully. Oates tightened his grip on the axe. It was, he had to admit, slightly more comforting than prayer at the moment. Perhaps you could start with the small truths, like... He had an axe in his hand. I, wa I want to be certain, he said. Are you, um, are you a, um, vampire? Granny Weatherwax appeared not to hear the question. Where's Hodge's arg with that tea, she said. 
The falconer came in with a tray. Nice to see you up and about, Mistress Weatherwax. Not before time. The tea slopped as she took the proffered cup. Her hand was shaking. Hodges Arg? Yes, Mistress. So, you've got a firebird here, have you? No, Mistress. I saw you out hunting it, and I found it, Miss. But it had been killed. There was nothing but burnt ground, Miss. You'd better tell me all about it. Is this the uh, right time, said Oates? Yes, said Granny Weatherwax. Oates sat and listened. Hodges' arc was an original storyteller and quite good in a very specific way. If he'd had to recount the saga of the Tsortian War, for instance, it would have been in terms of the birds observed. Every cormorant noted, every pelican listed, every battlefield raven taxonomically placed, no term unturned. Some men in armour would have been involved at some stage, but only because the ravens were perching on them. The phoenix um, doesn't lay eggs, said Oates at one point. This was a point a few points after the point where he asked the falconer if he'd been drinking. She's a bird, said Hodges Arg. That's what birds do. I've never seen a bird that doesn't lay eggs. I collected the eggshell. He scuttled off into the mews. Oates smiled nervously at Granny Weatherwax. Probably a bit of um, chicken shell, he said. I've read about the phoenix. It's a mythical creature, a symbol. It, um... Can't say for sure, said Granny. I've never seen one that close to. The falconer returned, clutching a small box. It was full of tufts of fleece, in the middle of which was a pile of shell fragments. Oates picked up a couple. They were a silvery grey and very light. I found them in the ashes. No one's ever claimed to have found Phoenix eggshell before, said Oates, accusingly. Didn't know that, sir, said Hodges Arg innocently. Otherwise I wouldn't have looked. Did anyone else ever look, I wonder, said Granny. She poked at the fragments. Ah, she said. I thought perhaps the phoenixes used to live somewhere very dangerous, Hodges Arg began. Everywhere's like that when you're newborn, said Granny. I can see you've been thinking, Hodges Arg. Thank you, Mistress Weatherwax. Shame you didn't think further, Granny went on. Mistress? There's the bits of more than one egg here. Mistress? Hodges Arg, said Granny patiently. This phoenix laid more than one egg. What? But it can't, according to mythology, Oates said. Oh, mythology, said Granny. Mythology's just the folk tales of people who won because they had bigger swords. They're just the people to spot the finer points of ornithology, aren't they? Anyway, one of anything ain't going to last very long, is it? Firebirds have got enemies, same as everything else. Give me a hand up, Mr Oates. How many birds in the mews, Hodges Arg? The falconer looked at his fingers for a moment. Er, uh, fifty. Counted them lately? They stood and watched while he walked from post to post. Then they stood and watched while he walked back and counted them again. Then he spent some time looking at his fingers. Fifty-one, said Granny helpfully. I don't understand it, mistress. You'd better count them by types, then. This produced a count of nineteen lappet-faced warriors, where there should have been eighteen. Perhaps one flew in because it saw the others, said Oates, like uh, pigeons. It doesn't work like that, sir, said the falconer. One of them won't be tethered, said Granny. Trust me. They found it at the back, slightly smaller than the other warriors, hanging meekly from its perch. 
Fewer birds could sit more meekly than a lancra wow-hawk or lappet-faced warrior, a carnivore permanently on the lookout for the vegetarian option. It spent most of its time asleep in any case, but when forced to find food, it tended to sit on a branch out of the wind somewhere and wait for something to die. When in the mews, the warriors would initially perch like other birds and then, talons clamped around the pole, doze off peacefully upside down. Hodgesarg bred them because they were found only in Lankra and he liked the plumage, but all reputable falconers agreed that for hunting purposes the only way you could reliably bring down prey with a wow hawk was by using it in a slingshot. Granny reached out towards it. I'll fetch you a glove, said Hodgesarg, but she waved him away. The bird hopped onto her wrist. Granny gasped, and little threads of green and blue burned like marsh gas along her arm for a moment. "'Are you all right?' said Oates. "'Never been better. I'll need this bird, Hodgesarg. "'It's dark, mistress. That won't matter, but it'll need to be hooded. "'Oh, I never hood wowhawks, mistress. They're never any trouble. "'This bird, this bird,' said Granny, "'is a bird I reckon no one's ever seen before. Hood it.' Hodges Arg hesitated. He recalled the circle of scorched earth, and before it, something looking for a shape in which it could survive. It is a wow hawk, isn't it, mistress? And what makes you ask that? said Granny slowly. After all, you're the falconer in these parts. Because I found in the woods I saw. What did you see, Hodges Arg? Hodges Arg gave up in the face of her stare, to think that he'd tried to capture a phoenix. At least the worst the other birds could do was to draw blood, supposing he'd been holding it. He was overcome by a very definite burning desire to get this bird out of here. Strangely, though, the other birds weren't disturbed at all. Every hooded head was turned towards the little bird on Granny Weatherwax's wrist. Every blind, hooded head. Hodges Arg picked up another hood. As he fastened it over the bird's head, he thought for a moment that there was a flash of gold from underneath. He put that down as not his business, He'd survived quite happily in the castle for many years by knowing where his business was, and he was suddenly very clear that it wasn't here, thank goodness. Granny took a few deep breaths. Right, she said. Now we'll go up to the castle. What for? Um, why? said Oates. Good grief, man, why'd you think? The vampires are gone, said the priest. While you were um, getting better, Mr. Hodges' arg found out. They've just left the soldiers and the uh, servants. There was a lot of noise and, and the coach went too. There's guards all over the place. How did the coach get out then? Well, it was the vampire's coach and their servant was driving it, but Jason Og said he saw Mrs. Og too. Granny steadied herself against the wall. Where did they go? "'I thought you could uh, read their minds or something,' said Oates. "'Young man, right now I don't think I can read my own mind. "'Look, uh, Granny Weatherwax, it's obvious to me you're still weak from loss of blood. "'Don't you dare tell me what I am,' said Granny. "'Don't you dare. "'Now, where would Githa Og have taken them?' "'I think Uberwald,' said Granny. "'That'll be it.' "'What?' "'How can you know that?' because nowhere in the village would be safe. She wouldn't go up to the gnarly ground on a night like this, and with a baby to carry as well, and heading down onto the plains would be downright daft, because there's no cover, and I wouldn't be surprised if the road is washed out by now. But that'll be right into danger. More dangerous than here, said Granny. They know about vampires in Uberwald. They're used to them. There's safe places. Pretty strong inns all along the coach road for a start. 
Nanny's practical. She'll think of that, I'm betting. She winced and added, but they'll end up in the vampire's castle. Oh, surely not. I can feel it in my blood, said Granny. That's the trouble with Githa Og, far too practical. She paused. You mentioned guards? They've locked themselves in the keep, mistress, said a voice in the doorway. It was Sean Og with the rest of the mob behind him. He advanced awkwardly, one hand held in front of him. That's a blessing then, said Granny. But we can't get in, mistress, said Sean. So, can they get out? Well, no, not really, but the armour is in there, all our weapons, and their booze in. What's that you're holding? Sean looked down. It's the Lancrustian army knife, he said. Er, uh, I left my sword in the armoury too. Has it got a tool for extracting soldiers from castles? Um, no. Granny peered closer. What's this curly thing? she said. Oh, that's the adjustable device for winning ontological arguments, said Sean. The king asked for it. Works, does it? Er, uh, if you twiddle it properly. And this? That's the tool for extracting the essential truth from a given statement, said Sean. Verence asked for that one too, did he? Yes, Granny. Useful to a, um, soldier, is it? said Oates. He glanced at Granny. She'd changed as soon as the others had entered. Before she'd been bowed and tired. Now she was standing tall and haughty, supported by a scaffolding of pride. Oh, yes, sir. Cause of when the other side are yelling, we're going to cut your tongue off, uh, your, your, your tongue off. Sean blushed and corrected himself. And things like that. Yes? Well, you can tell if they're going to be right, said Sean. I need a horse, said Granny. There's all poor chicks plough horse, Sean began, too slow. I, um, I, I've got a mule, said Oates. The king was kind enough to let me put it in the stables. Neither one thing nor t'other, eh, said Granny. It suits you. Hmm, that'll do for me, then. Fetch it up here and I'll be off to get the girls back. What? I thought you wanted it to take you up to your cottage. Into Uberwald alone? I couldn't let you do that. I ain't asking you to let me do anything. Now off you go and fetch it, otherwise... Om will be angry, I expect. But you can hardly stand up. Certainly I can. Off you go. Oates turned to the assembled Lancrastians for support. You wouldn't let a poor old lady go off to confront monsters on a wild night like this, would you? They watched him owlishly for a while, just in case something interestingly nasty was going to happen to him. Then someone near the back said, So why should we care what happens to monsters? And Sean Ogg said, That's Granny Weatherwax, that is. But she's an old lady, Oates insisted. The crowd took a few steps back. Oates was clearly a dangerous man to be around. Would you go out on a night like this, he said. The voice at the back said, Depends if I knew where Granny Weatherwax was. Don't think I didn't hear that, bestiality carter said Granny, but there was just a hint of satisfaction in her voice. Now, are we fetching your mule, Mr Oates? Are you sure you can walk? Of course I can. Oates gave up. Granny smirked triumphantly at the crowd and strode through them and towards the stables with him trotting after her. When he hurried around the corner, he almost collided with her, standing as stiff as a rod. Is there anyone watching me? she said. What? Um, no, I, I don't think so, apart from me, of course. You don't count, said Granny. She sagged and almost collapsed. He caught her and she pummeled him on the arm. The wow-hawk flapped its wings desperately. 
Let go, I just lost my footing, that's all. Yes, yes, of course, you just lost your footing, he said soothingly, and don't try to humour me either. Yes, yes, all, all right. It's just that it don't do to let things slide, if you must know. Like your foot did just then. Exactly. So perhaps I'll take your arm, because it's very muddy. He could just make out her face. It was a picture, but not one you'd hang over the fireplace. Some sort of inner debate was raging. Well, if you think you're going to fall over, she said. That's right, that's right, said Oates gratefully. I nearly hurt my ankle back there, as it is. I've always said young people today don't have the stamina, said Granny, as if she was testing out an idea. That's right, we don't have the stamina. And your eyesight is probably not as good as mine, owing to too much reading, said Granny. Blind as a bat, that's right. All right. And so, at cross-purposes and lurching occasionally, they reached the stables. The mule shook its head at Granny Weatherwax when they arrived at its loose box. It knew trouble when it saw her. It's a bit cantankerous, said Oates. Is it, said Granny. Then we shall see what we can do. She walked unsteadily over to the creature and pulled one of its ears down to the level of her mouth. She whispered something. The mule blinked. That sorted that out, then, she said. Help me up. Just let me put the bridle on. Young man, I might be temporary not at my best, but when I need a bridle on any creature, they can put me to bed with a shovel. Give me a hand up and kindly avert your face whilst so doing. Oates gave up and made a stirrup of his hands to help her into the saddle. Why don't I come with you? There's only one mule. Anyway, you'd be a hindrance. I'd be worrying about you all the time. She slid gently off the other side of the saddle and landed in the straw. The wow-hawk fluttered up and perched on a beam, and if Oates had been paying attention, he'd have wondered how a hooded bird could fly so confidently. Drat! Madam, um, I do know something about medicine. You are in no state to ride anything. Not right now, I admit, said Granny, her voice slightly muffled. She pulled some straw away from her face and waved a hand wildly to be helped up. But you just wait until I find my feet. All right, all right, supposing I ride and you hang on behind me. You can't weigh more than the harmonium, and I manage that all right. Granny looked owlishly at him. She seemed drunk at that stage when hitherto unconsidered things seem a good idea, like another drink. Then she appeared to reach a decision. Oh, if you insist... Oates found a length of rope, and after some difficulties, caused by Granny's determined belief that she was doing him some sort of a favour, got her strapped into a pillion position. "'Just so long as you understand that I didn't ax you to come along, and I don't need your help,' said Granny. "'Um, ax?' "'Ask, then,' said Granny. "'Slipped into a bit of rural there.' Oates stared at her for a while, then he dismounted, lifted Granny down, propped her up while she protested, disappeared into the night, came back shortly carrying the axe from the forge, used more rope to tie it to his waist, and mounted up again. "'You're learning,' said Granny. As they left, she raised an arm. The wow-hawk fluttered down and settled on her wrist. The air in the rocking coach was acquiring a distinct personality. Magrat sniffed. "'I'm sure I changed Esme not long ago.' After a fruitless search of the baby, they looked under the seat. Grebo was lying asleep with his legs in the air. 
"'Isn't that just like him?' said Nanny. "'He can't see an open door without going through it, bless him, "'and he likes to be near his mum.' "'Could we open a window?' said Magrat. "'The rain'll get in.' "'Yes, but the smell will get out,' Magrat sighed. "'You know, we've left at least one bag of toys. "'Verence was very keen on those mobiles.' "'I still think it's a bit early to start the poor little mite on education,' said Nanny, "'as much to take Magrat's mind off the current dangers "'as from a desire to strike a blow for ignorance. "'Environment is so very important,' said Magrat solemnly. "'Did I hear he told you to read improving books "'and listen to posh music while you were expecting?' "'said Nanny as the coach rushed through a puddle. "'Well, the books were all right, but the piano doesn't work properly, "'and all I could hear was Sean practising the trumpet solo,' said Magrat. "'It's not his fault if no one wants to join in,' said Nanny. "'She stared at herself as the coach lurched. "'Good turn of speed on this thing.' "'I wish we hadn't forgotten the bath, too,' Magrat mused. "'And I think we left the bag with the toy farm, and were low on nappies.' "'Let's have a look at it,' Nanny said. "'Baby Esme was passed across the swaying coach. "'Yes, let's have a look at you,' said Nanny. "'Her small blue eyes focused on Nanny Og.' The pink face on the small lolling head gave her a speculative look, working out whether she'd do as a drink or a toilet. "'That's good at this age,' said Nanny. "'Focusing like that. Unusual in a babby.' "'If she is at this age,' said Magrat darkly. "'Hush now. If Granny's in there, she's not interfering. She never interferes. Anyway, it wouldn't be her mind in there. That's not how she works it.' "'What is it, then?' "'You've seen her do it. What do you think?' "'I'd say all the things that make her her,' Magrat ventured. "'That's about right. She wraps them all up and puts them somewhere safe. "'You know how she can even be silent in her own special way?' "'Oh, yes. No one can be quiet, quite like Esme. "'You can hardly hear yourself think for the silence.' "'They bounced in their seats as the coach sprang in and out of a pothole. "'Nanny?' "'Yes, love?' Verence will be all right, won't he? Yep. I trust them little devils with anything except a barrel of stingo or a cow. Even Granny says the Kelder's damn good. The Kelder? Sort of a wise lady. I think the current one's called Big Aggie. You don't see much of their women. Some say there's only ever one at a time, and she's the Kelder, and has a hundred kids at a go. That sounds very... Magrat began. Nah, I reckon they're a bit like dwarfs. "'and there's hardly any difference except under the loincloth,' said Nanny. "'I expect Granny knows,' said Magrat. "'And she ain't saying,' said Nanny. "'She says it's their business. "'And he'll be all right with them?' "'Oh, yes. "'He's very kind, you know,' Magrat's sentence hung in the air. "'That's nice. "'And a good king as well,' Nanny nodded. "'It's just that I wish people took him more seriously,' Magrat went on. "'It's a shame,' said Nanny. "'He does work very hard, and he worries about everything, "'but people just seem to ignore him.' "'Nanny wondered how to approach it. "'He could try having the crown taken in a bit,' "'she ventured as the coach bounced over another rut. "'There's plenty of dwarfs up at Copperhead "'I'd be glad to make it smaller for him.' "'It is the traditional crown, Nanny.' "'Yes, but if it wasn't for his ears, "'it'd be a collar on the poor man,' said Nanny. "'He could try.' "'Bellowing a bit more, too. "'No, he couldn't do that. "'He hates shouting.' "'That's a shame. "'People like to see a bit of bellowing in a king. 
The odd belch is always popular, too. Even a bit of carousing would help if he could manage it. You know, quaffing and such. I think he thinks that isn't what people want. He's very conscious of the needs of today's citizen. Ah, well, I can see where there's a problem, then, said Nanny. People need something today, but they generally need something else tomorrow. Just tell him to concentrate on bellowing and carousing. And belching? That's optional. And... Yes, dear? He'll be all right, will he? Oh, yes. Nothing's going to happen to him. It's like that chess stuff, see? Let the Queen do the fighting, because if you lose the King, you've lost everything. And us? Oh, we're always all right. You remember that. We happen to other people. A lot of people were happening to King Verence. He lay in a sort of warm, empty daze, and every time he opened his eyes, it was to see scores of the Fiegel watching him in the firelight. He overheard snatches of conversation, or more correctly, argument. He's your king, you know? Aye, certainly. That pish of a hobby? Hush a gob. The man's sick and can you no word? Aye, Mackenborn, sick at him who? Verence felt a small yet powerful kick on his foot. See you, kingy? Eh, a lang stick a middlin' or what, big jobs? Yes, um, well done, he mumbled. The interrogating Fiegel spat near his ear. Ah, I wouldn't have given you escapings for him. There was a sudden silence, a real rarity in any space containing at least one Fiegel. Verence swivelled his eyes sideways. Big Aggie had emerged from the smoke. Now that he could see her clearly, the dumpy creature looked like a squat version of Nanny Og. And there was something about the eyes... Verence was technically an absolute ruler, and would continue to be so, provided he didn't make the mistake of repeatedly asking Lancrastians to do anything they didn't want to do. He was aware that the commander-in-chief of his armed forces was more inclined to take orders from his mum than his king. Whereas Big Aggie didn't even have to say anything. Everyone just watched her, and then went and got things done. Big Aggie's man appeared at her side. "'You'll be wanting to save your lady and your bairn,' Big Aggie's thinking, he said. Verence nodded. He didn't feel strong enough to do anything else. But you'll still be very classic from a loss of blood, Big Aggie reckons. The healings put something in their bite that makes you biddable. Verence agreed absolutely. Anything anyone said was all right by him. Another pixie appeared through the smoke, carrying an earthenware bowl. White studs slopped over the top. You canna be king lying down, said Big Aggie's man, "'So she's made up some brews for you.' "'The pixie lowered the bowl, which looked as though it was full of cream, "'although dark lines spiralled on its surface. "'Its bearer stood back reverentially. Uh, "'What's in it?' Verence croaked. "'Milk,' said Big Aggie's man promptly. "'And some of Big Aggie's brewing and herbs.' "'Verence grasped the last word, thankfully.' He shared with his wife the curious but unshakable conviction that anything with herbs in it was safe and wholesome and nourishing. "'So you'll be having a huge dram,' said the old pixie, "'and then we'll be finding you a sword.' "'I've never used a sword,' said Verence, trying to pull himself into a sitting position. "'I, I, I believe violence is the last resort.' "'Ah, well, so long as you bring your bucket and spade.' said Big Aggie's man. Now nah, you just drink up, Kingy. You'll soon see things differently. The vampires glided easily over the moonlit clouds. There was no weather up here, and to Agnes's surprise, no chill either. 
I thought you turned into bats, she shouted to Vlad. Oh, we could if we wanted to, he laughed, but that's a bit too melodramatic for father. He says we should not conform to crass stereotypes. A girl glided alongside them. She looked rather like Lacrimosa. That is, she looked like someone who admired the way Lacrimosa looked, and so had tried to look like her. I bet she's not a natural brunette, said Perdita, and if I used that much mascara, I'd at least try not to look like Harry the Happy Panda. This is Morbidia, said Vlad, although she's been calling herself Tracy lately to be cool. Morbidia, uh, Tracy, this is Agnes. What a good name, said Morbidia. How clever of you to come up with it. Everyone wants to stop off at escrow, can we? It's my real, Agnes began but her words were carried away on the wind. "'I thought we were going to go to the castle,' said Vlad. "'Yes, but some of us haven't fed for days, "'and that old woman was hardly even a snack, "'and the Count won't allow us to feed in Larker yet, "'and he says it'll be all right, and it's not much out of our way.' "'Oh, well, if father says,' Morbidia swooped away. "'We haven't been to escrow for weeks,' said Vlad. "'It's a pleasant little town.' "'You're going to feed there,' said Agnes. "'It's not what you think. "'You don't know what I think.' "'I can guess, though,' he smiled at her. "'I wonder if Father said yes because he wants you to see. "'It's so easy to be frightened of what you don't know, "'and then perhaps you could be a sort of ambassador. "'You could tell Lancre what life under the Magpiers is really like. "'People being dragged out of their beds, blood on the walls, that sort of thing. "'There you go again, Agnes.' It's most unfair. Once people find out you're a vampire, they act as if you're some kind of monster. They curved gently through the night air. Father's rather proud of his work in escrow, said Vlad. I think you'll be impressed. And then, perhaps, I could dare hope... No! I'm really being rather understanding about this, Agnes. You attacked Granny Weatherwax, you bitter. Symbolically, to welcome her into the family... "'Oh, really? Oh, that makes it all better, does it? "'And she'll be a vampire?' "'Certainly. A good one, I suspect. "'But that's only horrifying if you believe being a vampire is a bad thing. "'We don't. "'You'll come to see that we're right in time,' said Vlad. "'Yes, escrow would be good for you. For us. "'We shall see what can be done.' "'Agnes stared. "'He does smile nicely. "'He's a vampire!' All right, but apart from that... Oh, apart from that, eh? Nanny would tell you to make the most of it. That might work for Nanny, but can you imagine kissing that? Yes, I can. Well, I will admit he does smile nicely, and he looks good in those waistcoats, but look at what he is. Do you notice? Notice what? There's something different about him. He's just trying to get round us, that's all. No, no, there's something new... "'Father says escrow is a model community,' said Vlad. "'It shows what happens if ancient enmity is put aside "'and humans and vampires learn to live in peace. "'Yes, it's not far now. "'Escrow is the future.' "'A low ground mist drifted between the trees, "'curling up in little tongues as the mule's hooves disturbed it. Rain dripped off the branches. There was even a bit of sullen thunder now. Not the outgoing sort that cracks the sky, but the other sort, which hangs around the horizons and gossips nastily with other storms. Mightily Oates had tried a conversation with himself a few times, but the problem with the conversation was that the other person had to join in. 
Occasionally he heard a snore from behind him. When he looked around, the wow-hawk on her shoulder flapped its wings in his face. Sometimes the snoring would stop with a grunt, and a hand would tap him on a shoulder and point out a direction which looked like every other direction. It did so now. "'What's that you're singing?' Granny demanded. "'I wasn't singing, um, very loudly. "'What's it called?' "'It's called Om is in his holy temple.' "'Nice tune,' said Granny. "'It keeps uh, my spirits up,' Oates admitted. "'A wet twig slapped his face. "'After all,' he thought, "'I may have a vampire behind me, however good she is. "'You take comfort from it, do you?' "'I suppose so.' Even that bit about smiting evil with thy sword? That'd worry me if I was an Omnian. Do you get just a little sort of a tap for a white lie but minced up for murder? That's the sort of thing that'd keep me awake at nights. Well, uh, actually, I shouldn't be singing it at all, to be honest. The convocation of E struck it from the songbook as being, um, incompatible with the ideals of modern Omnianism. That line about crushing infidels? That's the one, yes. You sung it anyway, though. It's the version my uh, grandmother taught me, said Oates. She was keen on crushing infidels. Well, mainly I think she was uh, in favour of crushing Mrs Ahrim next door, but you've got the right idea, yes. She thought the world would be a better place with a bit more crushing and smiting. Hmm, probably true. Not as much uh, smiting and crushing as she'd like, though, I think, said Oates. A bit judgmental, my grandmother. Nothing wrong with that. "'Judging is human.' "'We prefer to leave it ultimately to Om,' said Oates, "'and out here in the dark that statement sounded lost and all alone. "'Being human means judging all the time,' said the voice behind him. "'This and that, good and bad, making choices every day, that's human.' "'And are you so sure you make the right decisions?' "'No, but I'll do the best I can. "'And hope for mercy, hmm?' A bony finger prodded him in the back. Mercy's a fine thing, but judging comes first. Otherwise, you don't know what you're being merciful about. Anyway, I always heard you Omnians were keen on smiting and crushing. Those were, um, um, different days. We use crushing arguments now. And long-pointed debates, I suppose. Well, there are two sides to every question. What do you do when one of them's wrong? The reply came back like an arrow. "'I meant that we are enjoined to see things from the other person's point of view,' said Oates patiently. "'You mean that from the point of view of a torturer, torture is all right?' "'Mistress Weatherwax, you are a natural disputant.' "'No, I ain't. "'You'd certainly enjoy yourself at the Synod, anyway. "'They've been known to argue for days about how many angels can dance on the head of a pin.' "'He could almost feel Granny's mind working. "'At last she said, "'What size pin?' Um, I don't know, I'm afraid. Well, if it's an ordinary household pin, then there'll be sixteen. Sixteen angels? That's right. Why? I don't know. Perhaps they like dancing. The mule picked its way down a bank. The mist was getting thicker here. You've counted sixteen, said Oates eventually. No, but it's as good an answer as any you'll get, and that's what your holy men discuss, is it? Not usually. There is a very interesting debate raging at the moment about the nature of sin, for example. And what do they think? Against it, are they? Um, it's not as simple as that. It's not a black and white issue. There are so many shades of grey. Nope. Pardon? 
There's no greys, only white that's got grubby. I'm surprised you don't know that. And sin, young man, is when you treat people as things, including yourself. That's what sin is. It's a lot more complicated than that. No, it ain't. When people say things are a lot more complicated than that, they means they're getting worried that they won't like the truth. People as things. That's where it starts. Oh, um, I'm sure there's worse crimes. But they starts with thinking about people as things. Granny's voice tailed off. Oates let the mule walk on for a few minutes, and then a snort told him that Granny had awoken again. You strong in your faith, then? she said, as if she couldn't leave things alone. Oates sighed. Uh, I try to be. But you read a lot of books, I'm thinking. Hard to have faith, ain't it, when you read too many books? Oates was glad she couldn't see his face. Was the old woman reading his mind through the back of his head? Yes, he said. Still got it, though? Yes. Why? If I didn't, I wouldn't have anything. He waited for a while and then tried a counterattack. You're not a believer yourself, then, uh, Mistress Weatherwax? There were a few moments' silence as the mule picked its way over the mossy tree roots. Oates thought he heard behind him the sound of a horse, but then it was lost in the sighing of the wind. Oh, I reckon I believes in tea, sunrises, that sort of thing, said Granny. I was referring to religion. I know a few gods in these parts, if that's what you mean. Oates sighed. Many people find faith a great solace, he said. He wished he was one of them. Good. Really? Uh, somehow I thought you'd argue. It's not my place to tell them what to believe, if they act decent. But it's not something that you feel drawn to, perhaps in the, in the darker hours? No, I've already got a hot water bottle. The wowhawk fluttered its wings. Oates stared into the damp, dark mist. Suddenly, he was angry. "'And that's what you think religion is, is it?' he said, trying to keep his temper. "'I generally don't think about it at all,' said the voice behind him. It sounded fainter. He felt Granny clutch his arm to steady herself. "'Are you all right?' he said. "'I wish this creature would go faster. I ain't entirely myself. "'We could stop for a rest.' "'No, not far now. Oh, I've been so stupid.' The thunder grumbled. He felt her grip lessen and heard her hit the ground. Oates leapt down. Granny Weatherwax was lying awkwardly on the moss, her eyes closed. He took her wrist. There was a pulse there, but it was horribly weak. She felt icy cold. When he patted her face, she opened her eyes. If you raise the subject of religion at this point, she wheezed, I'll give you such a hiding. Her eyes shut again. Oates sat down to get his breath back. Icy cold, yes. There was something cold about all of her, as though she always pushed heat away, any kind of warmth. He heard the sound of the horse again and the faint jingle of a harness. It stopped a little way away. Hello, said Oates, standing up. He strained to see the rider in the darkness, but there was just a dim shape further along the track. Are you following us? Hello? He took a few steps and made out the horse, head bowed against the rein. The rider was just a darker shadow in the night. Suddenly, awash with dread, Oates ran and slithered back to Granny's silent form. He struggled out of his drenched coat and put it over her, for whatever good that would do, and looked around desperately for anything that could make a fire. Fire. That was the thing. 
It brought life and drove away darkness. But the trees were tall firs, dripping wet with dank bracken underneath among the black trunks. There was nothing that would burn here. He fished hurriedly in his pocket and found a waxed box with his last few matches in it. Even a few dry twigs or a tuft of grass would do, anything that would dry out another handful of twigs. Rain oozed through his shirt. The air was full of water. Oates hunched over so that his hat kept the drips off and pulled out the Book of Om for the comfort that it brought. In times of trouble, Om would surely show the way. I've already got a hot water bottle. Damn you, he said under his breath. He opened the book at random, struck a match and read, And in that time, in the land of the Cyrenites, there was a multiplication of camels. The match hissed out. No help there, no clue. He tried again. And looked upon Gul-Ara and the lamentation of the desert, and rode then to... Oates remembered the vampire's mocking smile. What words could you trust? He struck the third match with shaking hands and flicked the book open again and read, in the weak dancing light, And Brutha said to Simony, Where there is darkness we will make a great light. The match died, and there was darkness. Granny Weatherwax groaned. At the back of his mind, Oates thought he could hear the sound of hooves slowly approaching. Oates knelt in the mud and tried a prayer, but there was no answering voice from the sky. There never had been. He'd been told never to expect one. That wasn't how Om worked any more. Alone of all the gods he'd been taught, Om delivered the answers straight into the depths of the head. Since the prophet Brutha, Om was the silent god. That's what they said. If you didn't have faith, then you weren't anything. There was just the dark. He shuddered in the gloom. Was the god silent, or was there no one to speak? He tried praying again, more desperately this time, fragments of childish prayer, losing control of the words and even their direction, so that they tumbled out and soared away into the universe addressed simply to the occupier. The rain dripped off his hat. He knelt and waited in the wet darkness and listened to his own mind and remembered and took out the Book of Om once more and made a great light. The coach thundered through pine trees by a lake, struck a tree root, lost a wheel, and skidded to a halt on its side as the horses bolted. Igor picked himself up, lurched to the coach, and raised a door. Sorry about that, he said. I'm afraid this always happens when the master isn't on board. Everyone all right down there? A hand grabbed him by the throat. You could have warned us, Nanny growled. We were thrown all over the place. Where the hell are we? Is this lake? A match flared and Igor lit a torch. We're near the castle, he said. Whose? The Magpiers. We're near the vampire's castle? Yes. I think the old master did something to the road here. The wheels always come off as sure as eggs is eggs. Brings in the visitors, he said. It didn't occur to you to mention it, said Nanny, climbing out and giving Magrat a hand. Sorry, it's been a busy day. Nanny took the torch. The flames illuminated a crude sign nailed to a tree. Don't go near the castle, Nanny read. Nice of them to put an arrow pointing the way to it, too. Oh, the master did that, said Igor, otherwise people wouldn't notice it. Nanny peered into the gloom. And who's in the castle now? A few servants. Will they let us in? That's not a problem. 
Igor fished in his noisome shirt and pulled out a very big key on a string. "'We're going to go into the castle,' said Magrat. "'Looks like the only place around,' said Nanny Og, heading up the track. "'The coach is wrecked. We're miles from anywhere else. Do you want to keep the baby out all night?' "'A castle's a castle. It'll have locks. All the vampires are in Lankra, and, well, it's what Esme would have done. I feels it in me blood.' A little way off, something howled. Nanny looked at Igor. Werewolf, she said. That's right. Not a good idea to hang around, then. She pointed to a sign painted on a rock. Don't take this quickest route to the kaftal, she read aloud. You've got to admire a mind like that, definitely a student of human nature. Won't there be a lot of ways in, said Magrat, as they walked past a sign that said, Don't go near the coach park twenty yards on your left. Igor, said Nanny. Vampires used to fight amongst themselves, said Igor. There's only one way in. Oh, all right, if we must, said Magrat. You take the rocker and use nappy bag and the teddies, and the thing that goes round and round and plays noises when she pulls the string. A sign near the drawbridge said, Laughed chance not to go near the kaftal. And Nanny Og laughed and laughed. The Count's not going to be very happy about you, Igor, she said as he unlocked the doors. Thod him, he said. I'm going to pack up my stuff and head for Blinth. There's always a job for an eagle up there. More lightning strikes per year than anywhere in the mountains, they say. Nanny Og wiped her eye. Good job we're soaked already, she said. All right, let's get in. And Igor, if you haven't been straight with us, sorry, straight with us, I'll have your guts for garters. Igor looked down bashfully. Oh, that's more than a man could possibly hope for, he murmured. Magrat giggled, and Igor pushed open the door and hurriedly shuffled inside. What? said Nanny. "'Haven't you noticed the looks he's been giving you?' said Magrat as they followed the lurching figure. "'What, him?' said Nanny. "'Could be carrying a torch for you,' said Magrat. "'I thought it was just to see where he's going,' said Nanny, a little bit of panic in her voice. "'I mean, I haven't got my best drawers on or anything.' "'I think he's a bit of a romantic, actually,' said Magrat. "'Oh, I don't know, I really don't,' said Nanny. "'I mean, it's flattering and everything, but I really don't think I could be going out with a man with a limp.' Limp what? Nanny Og had always considered herself unshockable, but there's no such thing. Shocks can come from unexpected directions. I am a married woman, said Magrat, smiling at her expression, and it felt good just once to place a small tin tack in the path of Nanny's carefree amble through life. But is, I mean, is Verence, you know, all right in the, um... Oh, yes, everything's fine... "'But now I understand what your jokes were about.' "'What, all of them?' said Nanny, "'like someone who'd found all the aces removed "'from their favourite pack of cards. "'Well, not the one about the priest, the old woman, and the rhinoceros.' "'I should just about hope so,' said Nanny. "'I didn't understand that one till I was forty. "'Igor limped back. "'There's just the servants,' he said. "'You could stay down in my quarters, in the old tower,' There's thick doors. Mrs. Og would really like that, said Magrat. She was saying just now, what good legs you've got, weren't you, Nanny? Do you want some? 
said Igor, earnestly, leading the way up the steps. I've got plenty, and I could do with the space in the ice house. You what? said Nanny, stopping dead. Arm your man if there's any organ you need, said Igor. There was a strangled coughing noise from Magrat. You've got bits of people stored on ice, said Nanny, horrified. Bits of strange people chopped up. I'm not taking another step. Now Igor looked horrified. Not strange, he said. Family. You chopped up your family? Nanny backed away. Igor waved his hands frantically. It's the tradition, he said. Every eagle leaves his body to the family. Why waste good organs? Look at my uncle Igor. He died of buffaloes, so there was a perfectly good heart and some kidneys going begging. Plus, he'd still got Grandad's hands, and they were damn good hands, let me tell you. He sniffed. I wish I had them. He was a great surgeon. Well... I know every family says things like, he's got his father's eyes, Nanny began. No, my second cousin Igor got them. But, but who does the cutting and sewing, said Magrat. I do. And Igor learns household surgery on his father's knee, said Igor, and then practices on his grandfather's kidneys. Excuse me, said Nanny. What did you say your uncle died of? Buffaloes, said Igor, unlocking another door. He broke out in them. A herd fell on him. A freak accident. We don't talk about it. Sorry, are you telling us you do surgery on yourself? said Magrat. It's not hard when you know what you're doing. Sometimes you need a mirror, of course, and it helps if someone can put a finger on the knot. Isn't it painful? Oh, no. I always tell them to take it away just before I pull the strings tight. The door creaked open. It was a long, tortured, groaning noise. In fact, there was more creak than door, and it went on just a few seconds after the door had stopped. That sounds dreadful, said Nanny. Thank you. It took days to get right. Creaks like that don't just happen by themselves. There was a woof from the darkness, and something leapt at Igor, knocking him off his feet. Get off, you big soppy! It was a dog, or several dogs rolled, as it were, into one. There were four legs, and they were nearly all the same length, although not, Magrat noted, all the same colour. There was one head, although the left ear was black and pointed, while the right ear was brown and white and flopped. It was a very enthusiastic animal in the department of slobber. This is Scraps, said Igor, fighting to get to his feet in a hail of excited paws. He's a silly old thing. Scraps, yes, said Nanny. Good name, good name. He's seventy-eight years old, said Igor, leading the way down a winding staircase. Some of him. He's very neat stitching, said Magrat. He looks well on it, too. Happy as a dog with two... Oh, I see, he does have two. I had one spare, said Igor, leading the way with Scraps bounding along beside him. I thought, he's so happy with one, just think of the fun he could have with two. Nanny Og's mouth didn't even get half open. "'Don't you even think of saying anything, Gither Og?' snapped Magrat. "'Me?' said Nanny innocently. "'Yes, and you were. I could see you. "'You know he was talking about tails, not anything else.' "'Oh, I thought about that long ago,' said Igor. "'It's obvious. 
Saves wear and tear, plus you can use one while you're replacing the other. I experimented on myself. Their footsteps echoed on the stairs. Now, what are we talking about here exactly? said Nanny in a quiet, I'm only asking out of interest tone of voice. Hearts, said Igor. Oh, two hearts. <laughs> You've got two hearts? Yes. The other one belonged to poor Mr. Thwines down at the sawmill. But his wife said it was no use to him after the accident, what with him not having a head to go with it. You're a bit of a self-made man on the quiet, aren't you? said Magret. Who did your brain? said Nanny. Can't do brains yourself, said Igor. Only, you've got all those stitches. Oh, I put a metal plate in my head, said Igor, and a wire down my neck all the way to my boots. I got fed up with all those lightning strikes. Here we are. He unlocked another groaning door. My little place. It was a dank, vaulted room, clearly lived in by someone who didn't spend a lot of social time there. There was a fireplace with a dog basket in front of it, and a bed with a mattress and one blanket. Crude cupboards lined one wall. There's a well under that cover there, he said, and there's a privy through there. What's through that door? said Nanny, pointing to one with heavy bolts across it. Nothing, said Igor. Nanny shot him a glance, but the bolts were very firmly on this side. This looks like a crypt, she said, with a fireplace. When the old Count was alive, he liked to get warm of an evening before going out, said Igor. Golden days, them was. I wouldn't give you tuppence for this lot. Do you know, they wanted me to get rid of scraps. Scraps leapt up and tried to lick Nanny's face. I saw Lacrimotha kick him once, said Igor darkly. He rubbed his hands together. Can I get you ladies anything to eat? No, said Nanny and Magrat together. Scraps tried to lick Igor. He was a dog with a lot of lick to share. Scraps, play dead, said Igor. The dog dropped and rolled over with his legs in the air. See, said Igor, he remembers. "'Won't we be cornered down here if the magpiers come?' said Magrat. "'They don't come down here. "'It's not modern enough for them,' said Igor. "'And there's ways out if they do.' "'Magrat glanced at the bolted door. "'It didn't look like the kind of way out anyone would want to take. "'What about weapons?' she said. "'I shouldn't think there'd be any anti-vampire stuff in a vampire's castle, would there?' "'Why, certainly,' said Igor. "'There is. "'As much as you want.' The old master was very keen on that. When we had visitors expected, he always said, Igor, make certain the windows are clean and there's lots of lemons and bits of ornament that can be turned into religious symbols around the place. He enjoyed it when people played by the rules. Very fair, the old master. Yeah, but that'd mean he'd die, wouldn't it? said Nanny. She opened a cupboard and a stack of wrinkled lemons fell out. Igor shrugged. You win some, you lose some, he said. The old master used to say, Igor, the day vampires win all the time, that's the day we'll be knocked back beyond return. Mind you, he got annoyed when people pinched his socks. He'd say, sod, that was silk, ten dollars a pair in Aunt Moorpork. And he probably spent a lot of money on blotting paper too, said Nanny. Another cupboard revealed a rack of steaks, along with a mallet and a simple anatomical diagram with an X over the heart area. 
"'The chart with my idea, Mrs. Ogg,' said Igor proudly. "'The old master got fed up with people just hammering the stakes in any old way. "'He said he didn't mind the dying. That was quite restful. "'But he did object to looking like a colander.' "'You're a bright chap, aren't you, Igor?' said Nanny. "'Igor beamed. I've got a good brain in my head.' "'Choose it yourself, did you? "'No, only joking. You can't do brains. "'I've got a distant cousin at Unseen University, you know. "'Really? What's he do there?' "'Floats around in his jar,' said Igor proudly. "'Shall I show you the holy water cellar? "'The old master built up a very good collection.' "'Sorry? A vampire collected holy water?' said Magrat. "'I think I'm beginning to understand,' said Nanny.' He was a sportsman, right? Exactly. And a good sportsman always gives the valiant prey a decent chance, said Nanny, even if it means I'm in a cellar of Chateau Neuve de Pope. Sounds an intelligent bird, your old boy. Not like this new one. He's just clever. I don't follow you, said Magrat. Being killed is nothing to a vampire, said Nanny. They always find a way of coming back. Everyone knows that who knows anything about vampires. If they're not too hard to kill and it's all a bit of an adventure for people, well, like as not, they'll just stake him and chuck him in the river and go home. Then he has a nice restful decade or so, being dead, and comes back from the grave and away he goes again. That way he never gets totally wiped out and the lads of the village get some healthy exercise. The magpiers will come after us, said Magrat, clutching the baby to her. They'll see we're not in Lancre, and they'll know we couldn't have gone down to the plains. They'll find the smashed coach, too. They'll find us, Nanny. Nanny looked at the array of jars and bottles and the stakes neatly organised in order of size. It'll take them a little while, she said. We've got time to get prepared. She turned around with a bottle of blessed water in one hand, a crossbow loaded with a wooden bolt, and a bag of musty lemons in her mouth. She said. Pardon? said Magrat. Nanny spat out the lemons. Now, we'll try things my way, she said. I'm not good at thinking like Granny, but I'm bloody good at acting like me. Headologies for them as can handle it. Let's kick some bat. <laughs>